Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, May 5th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Book sales last month saw their typical post-Easter rebound, Andrew. But still, the future for publishers is hardly sunny. Yeah, this is the interesting time of year, right? We're, we're right, the halfway point of the year is sort of rounding into sight and we're getting a good idea of where things are heading. And the good news is, as you said, publishing sales were up to close out April by about 5% over the previous week. This according to Circana Book Scan. And that's consistent with what we usually see in the weeks following Easter. Uh, you see a sales drop and then things bounce back. Now, the not-so-great news is that year-to-date unit volume has kind of flattened out and remains down about 2%, I think, from last year. Again, that's not a big deal, essentially running flat. And who knows what blockbusters might change the math in the coming months. Uh, and, of course, you have Mother's Day coming up, too, so things could change in a hurry. If we have a good holiday, the weather's good, and people do a lot of shopping. But our listeners will recall HarperCollins CEO Brian Murray in London uh, from the stage talking about how economic trends were still sort of worrying publishers. And this week, you know, we had another bank issue and pundits were talking about recession again. And, you know, that's not sugarcoated. A recession with job losses, inflation is still lingering. That would be a very bad set of circumstances for everyone. And also, of course, for the publishing industry. Uh, out of our control, of course. But nevertheless, industry, industry leaders, I think, are certainly right to be concerned about uh, those things, uh, the things that are happening in the economy. One author and his publisher have reason to celebrate this week, Andrew. James Patterson's combined book sales now top 100 million units. Yeah, that's quite a feat, isn't it? Like James Patterson has hit many milestones in his long career as an author. And in April, he hit another one. He became the first author to sell more than 100 million copies across all print formats since BookScan, which I just now known as Circana BookScan, formerly MPD, uh, since they started recording unit sales of print books back in 2004. Uh, Patterson easily topped the print sales accrued by Dr. Seuss, whose books have sold an impressive 83 million copies since 2004. And Patterson's publisher, Hachette CEO Michael Peach, called him America's greatest storyteller. Uh, he also noted that Patterson has had a hundred, one hundred number one New York Times bestsellers over his career, and that his back, backlist of adult fiction and nonfiction stands at a hundred and seventy nine titles, which is absolutely remarkable, and I'd gather probably is not going to be touched again by anyone going forward. And of course, Patterson, we should point out too, has given a lot of money to bookstores and libraries and literacy efforts, so good stuff there. Anyway, quite a milestone for James Patterson for sure. At London Book Fair in April, publishing industry leaders had a lot to say about the rise of generative AI technology, which many see as potentially very disruptive. This week, PW reports that one textbook service may already be feeling the effects. Yeah, so my boss Jim Milliot reported this week uh, the possible impact of AI and ChatGPT in particular on the publishing industry and, you know, related educational business really came into focus this week after Dan Rosenzweig, who's the CEO of Chegg, which is a company that began its life as a textbook rental company and now sort of like this online learning platform uh, for university students. After Rosenzweig made comments about Chegg's first quarter financial performance, 
in which he mentioned a significant spike in student interest in chat GPT. The results of that, Rosenzweig's comments and, you know, sort of a downgraded fiscal forecast, uh, dropped Chegg's stock price by almost half, down 48.4% on Tuesday, closing at about $9 a share. Rosenweig said that Chegg believes that generative AI and large language models are going to affect society and business, both positively and neg negatively, which I think is right, but at a faster pace than people are used to. And I think it's the speed of change that often gets people in this business. AI technology is evolving at a rapid pace, and Chegg is embracing it, Rosenzweig told investors, saying he believed that AI is indeed the next big shift and that Chegg leadership has, and I'll quote him here, reoriented the company to utilize AI in Chegg services, which are going to start rolling out sometime this quarter, so sometime by the, by the summer, most likely. You know, and an interesting development, too, this week, we should note that FTC Chair Lena Khan who has spoken in publishing industry events over the last few years, came out with an editorial in the New York Times yesterday calling for AI to be regulated. That'll be music to the ears of a number of publishers who have been saying the same thing. Khan noted in that editorial that even though the technology is new, there are laws and policies in place already that can rein in some of these things before they get out of control. And she compared the current moment with AI to the early days of Web 2.0 when a handful of big tech companies were able to consolidate their power through these business models that were based on data capture, which she notes have had major implications for society and for business uh, in terms of privacy, et cetera. Um, so, so, of course, you know, we've seen this movie before, basically, she said, right? New technology always leads to these calls for actions. And I think the question is, will we see action? Lena Khan suggests that we will. And all of this, too, I want to just make one final comment about this, is that I think it really adds up to what quietly has become one of the most interesting, pivotal, complex moments for the publishing industry in my lifetime. You know, if you look at what's happening now, publishers are looking at a host of immediate, somewhat complex and confusing economic challenges, right? You have inflation and interest rates and possible recession, but yet things are okay. Unemployment remains stable. People are still spending. The economy seems to be fine. These storm clouds are gathering, but... Who knows if the storm will actually hit or pass us by? And then, of course, post-pandemic, who knows what's really coming? You know, in, in addition to the uncertain immediate economic outlook, we have this murky, exciting, threatening, potentially good, potentially bad technology that some are calling to be regulated. But regulated correctly, I think, is going to be the key. Also, you have book bans and this post-pandemic hangover for sales. It's really just this complex, fascinating moment for the book business coming off a couple of years of historic growth. Who knows how the future is going to shake out, but it is a tough time to be a leader in a publishing company. That's for sure. In January, former President Donald Trump sued best-selling author and award-winning journalist Bob Woodward, as well as his publisher Simon & Schuster, over an audiobook based on interviews for Woodward's book, The Best-Selling Rage. Trump claims the interviews were used without his permission, and he's seeking damages and a judgment acknowledging his copyright interest in those interviews. In the latest court filings, Woodward and SNS say the case is without merit and should be dismissed. 
Yeah, so this is probably the least interesting legal drama that Trump is involved in these days. But for us publishing people, it's worth noting, um, even though I don't think it really is a very close case at all. And I think it ultimately will be tossed. But as you know, lawyers for Simon & Schuster and for bestselling author Bob Woodward asked a Florida court this week for a brief extension to file two new motions to dismiss an amended $50 million lawsuit that was filed by former President Donald Trump, which alleges that Woodward and Simon and & Schuster breached Trump's copyright interests by publishing the audio, uh, the audio book, The Trump Tapes, the historical record, based on interviews that Woodward recorded for his book, Rage. The case was first filed in January. It was amended on April 24th. And the complaint basically accuses Woodward of using what the former president says is protected material. You know, this is the audio recordings of interviews that Woodward did. Uh, which Trump says are subject to copyright and contract law. But these pending new motions to dismiss the amended complaint, now they, they were due to be filed next week. They're probably not going to be filed to the week of May 19th now. They're almost certainly going to restate the argument made by Woodward and Simon & Schuster in two previous motions to dismiss, which were filed in early April. And basically what uh, Simon & Schuster and Woodward are saying is that the president's case is entirely without merit and should be dismissed. And I expect... The filings, which are going to come in sometime in May, are going to be almost identical to these previous motions. Uh, in these previous filings, lawyers for Woodward and Simon and Schuster argue a few things. One is that, first of all, Trump filed the suit in Pensacola in Florida, which is the wrong place. So the, the case should be thrown out or tr- at least transferred from the Northern District of Florida. But it's on the merits, I think, where it really gets interesting. Trump basically is insisting that he has some copyright interest in these interviews. But lawyers insist that because these interviews were conducted while he was acting in his capacity as president of the United States, he holds no copyright interest. And in addition, there was no contract or agreement or even a suggestion of an agreement from Woodward stating that Trump had any interest in these or in any property derived from them. Because Trump was acting in his capacity as president of the United States, his responses belong to the people, these filings say, and not to Trump personally. Basically, they're government works, which copyright law bars Trump from owning in a personal capacity. And that's absolutely true. And again, I don't even think this is a close case. Uh, furthermore, and I'll quote from the filings here too, there's nothing, and I'll quote here directly, approaching a plausible allegation that there was any meeting of the minds in which Woodward agreed that President Trump actually owned the interviews and only granted Woodward a limited license to use quotes uh, for his book, Rage. The reply goes on to add that no experienced journalist would ever agree to such terms. And of course, that's true too. So, I expect this case is going to be tossed soon, which will probably surprise no one because Trump has this long history of filing these sort of futile lawsuits, many of them involving Simon & Schuster, it's fair to say. Our listeners will remember the threatened suit against Michael Wolff in 2020. That wasn't an SNS book. But then Trump pushed the DOJ to go after John Bolton for his book, The Room Where It Happened. That was Simon & Schuster. That litigation ultimately failed. A month later, in July 2020, Trump sued Simon & Schuster and Mary Trump in New York State Court trying to block publication of her memoir. That suit failed. And in January of this year, Trump threatened to sue Simon & Schuster again uh, and former New York criminal prosecutor Mark Pomerantz for his book, Trump, an Inside Account. That action was never filed that I know of, but there's always time. Uh, Notably this week, too, a New York judge this week tossed out another lawsuit from Trump, this one against the New York Times, 
that alleged that Mary Trump had engaged in a, a plot to obtain his private records for what turned out to be the Times' Pulitzer Prize-winning story about his taxes. And not only did that suit get tossed, the court ordered the former president to pay all of the defense's attorney's fees, legal expenses, and costs. So at some point, you'd think that Trump would stop filing these kinds of lawsuits. They're never successful. Though I'm guessing the publishers and the authors here are actually quite happy to have to keep defending them because they are, after all, great publicity. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, writers in Hollywood are the latest to declare concerns that technology based in powerful artificial intelligence tools may jeopardize their livelihoods. As of this recording, members of the Writers Guild of America are on picket lines in Los Angeles, largely over worries that studio bosses will use ChatGPT to write jokes and dramas. Questions about the role of generative AI technology invariably focus on intellectual property law. Variety has just published a special report on Gen AI and IP law, and the report's author, Paul Sweeting, tells me that the studio and the writers fear a takeover by machines. The concern for the the Writers Guild is that studios will rely on this sort of technology to generate the the sort of basic script for a movie, the the story, the characters, the basic dialogue, and then just hire writers on a basically day labor basis to come in and punch up what the machine has has created. And it it would significantly devalue what writers do and turn that sort of work or their concern is that it would turn what they have been doing for a living for years into a form of, you know, day labor, basically. And the Oscar goes to ChatGPT, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.